The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter number 15, please. Romans chapter number 15. We're going to pick up in verse number 14 this morning. And of course, we've been studying uh, for a little over a year now uh, through the uh, the book of Romans. And uh, coming to this point in the book of Romans, we've already discussed the fact that every single one of us, every single individual, every single human being is, uh, is a sinner by nature, right? And uh, we are not sinners just because we sin, but actually we sin because we're sinners. It's an in- our inherent nature. That's who we are. That is, uh, that's our our. our, our bent that's our slight that's that's our default mode of operation is uh we will sin and we've already learned because of that because of our sin uh there would be a punishment there'd be a penalty we'd have to experience the wrath of god and uh experience a a time of eternity in a place called hell if we stood before our uh, uh, before the lord uh in and of ourselves and had to uh had to make amends for our sin ourselves but we're thankful that Paul didn't just focus on the negative. He also gave us the truth of God's love and his grace. And we understand that it is God's grace that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. And if we would accept his, his death on Calvary's cross, his burial and resurrection as our payment for the sin that we have committed, then uh, the Bible is clear. He'll save us. He'll forgive us of that sin. And he will give us a relationship with him and a home in heaven. Of course, with all of these things being known, knowing where we've come from, knowing what we have received as a believer, knowing what Christ has done for us so that we could receive this salvation, and uh, knowing that God is sovereign over all things. We discussed that in chapters 9, 10, and 11, that he's, uh, he's in control of the affairs of this world, and he's also in control of uh, the affairs of, sal- of salvation. Knowing all these things, we jumped into chapter number 12, and let me just draw your attention back to that real quick. Chapter number 12 of Romans, and look at verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We find here that he speaks of the measure of faith that is given in, in verse number three. And, but we realize that when we give ourselves to God and uh, when we accept him as our Savior, he has promised us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit begins to do a work. And it'd be like taking a, a, a pitcher, of, a, 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 just an empty pitcher, and you were to take and turn on the faucet and stick that pitcher underneath the faucet. And you never touch the handle of the faucet again, and you just let the water continue to flow. It's going to eventually fill up that pitcher, right? And if you don't turn off the faucet, what's going to happen to the water that's going into the pitcher? It's going to overflow. It's going to come all, it's going to, it's going to begin to spill over the sides. And our life is the same way. When we daily yield ourselves to the Spirit, he, it, it's something that takes place inwardly. We renew our mind. That's an inward move, uh, 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 segment. That's something that's taking place inwardly. When we give our, the Lord our heart and, and, his, uh, and our desires and our wants and, our, and, and what we hope to, the, the things we hope to accomplish, those are all things that are taking place inwardly. But as we do it, the, the longer we do it, the more we do it, it's inevitable. It's going to spill over. It's going to start showing up out, outside of our, not just the inside, it's going to show up outwardly as well. 
That's what Paul's explaining here in this, what we're calling transformed. As we're closing this b- the book of, Re- of Romans, I'm sorry. Uh, Paul is saying, because we know of what God has done for us, and because we've experienced what God has done for us, the more we yield to him, there will be external evidences of those things. Some of that was the fact that there would be unity amongst the believers in the body of Christ. Even though there's much diversity and differences about us, there would still be unity. And that was an external uh, appearance of the fact that what the Lord was doing inwardly for everyone as well. Now, we've come to this portion of Scripture here in verses 14 through 21. I want to read them. I'll give us some explanation, and then we'll jump into dissecting it here this morning. But look with me at Romans 15 and verse number 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written uh, the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory uh, through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which... Christ hath not wrought by me uh, to make the Gentiles obedient by the word, by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto uh, Illyricum, I uh, have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Notice verse number twenty. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as as it is written. To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. I ask now that you would just be honored and glorified in everything that we say and do here this morning. And uh, Lord, I ask now that as we study your word, that you'll help us to understand, that you'll help us to hear, and uh, Lord, that you'd help us to apply these things to our lives. We do ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Brother Quentin, I'm, I'm not supposed to have any of my mic coming through these monitors, but I'm still hearing these monitors. Can you make sure to turn them off, or I'll just turn them off completely? I don't think you see what I'm saying here. So let me just shut these off real quick, and uh, that way they are not um, messing with me up here, all right? And so at, if, I were to, if I were to go to throughout Sierra Vista, uh, we, it, it could be Sierra Vista, it could be any other city, it could, we could go all, any place around the world, honestly, listen, and ask individuals, hey, can you give a job description? Can g- you give a definition? Uh, can you give some type of information um, concerning what the job of a preacher is? What the job of a pastor what the job of an evangelist, someone who works in full-time what we'll call vocational ministry, okay? Could you give me a definition of what their job description is or should be? Can I say that each person that you ask would probably give you a different definition than the person before you? I've been in, uh, in, in ministry work full-time uh, for roughly about almost 13 years or so, and I've had people that come up to me and they've, they've asked, so 
what is it that you do, actually? When I think, when they think of the pastor, when they think of the preacher, they think of what I'm doing right now, delivering the word of God on a Sunday morning, maybe Sunday night if a church has a Sunday evening service, Wednesday nights if we have the prayer and Bible study time and such. They think of maybe doing weddings occasionally and funerals and things like that. But from the day-to-day aspects of ministry, what is it that you do all day long? Like, I know, uh, some people would say, oh, I know what the pastor does. He sits in his office and he prays all day long, <laughs> 10 hours straight, he prays. Or others would say, no, he, he reads his Bible for 12 hours a day. I mean, he's, he's read through the Bible four times already this year. And, uh, you know, those types of things, or, or whatever the case. You see what I'm saying? You get different ideas of what it is that a, a minister or what a person in ministry does. Well, can I say that Paul is speaking here. He's writing this letter to this church at Rome, and inside the church are tons of different people that have now been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, just as Paul was saved. You might remember Paul's testimony, that while he was on the road to Damascus and he was planning to persecute Christians, he was planning to throw some in jail and even maybe have some put to death, that he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road that way, and, and he had a total change. The Lord changed his life and saved him that day. And uh, so he had been saved, and much like Paul, many of these folks in the church at Rome had been saved as well. And Paul, writing to them, just as he had accepted Christ as his Savior and now living his life for the Lord, he is hoping that and praying that the, if it be the Lord's will, that there would be many in that church at Rome that would also give their life to serving the Lord. But here's the deal. How can someone serve the Lord and how can someone give their life to those things if they don't know what it entails, right? And so I believe Paul is kind of giving us some explanations into his ministry and what the Lord has done in his life and would have him to do in his life as serving the Lord. Now we understand the Bible tells us, right, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration and it's profitable. The Bible says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Bible has several different tasks that it performs as one reads it. It gives us doctrine, the truths or the teachings of the word of God. It gives us reproof at times and it tells us where we're not actually living the way the Lord would want us to live. It gives us correction as well, to uh, some course correction if you may at times. It gives us instruction in righteousness as well. Those are all aspects that the scripture entails and gives. But listen, just as the scripture uh, addresses some different tasks and addresses some different things, we find also that the minister and the work of the minister also has several different aspects to it as well. For instance, sometimes the minister is expected to comfort. Sometimes the minister is expected to encourage. Sometimes they're expected to exhort. Sometimes they're expected to confront. And sometimes they're expected to evangelize. And sometimes they're expected to do all these things all at once, right? And all I'm here to tell you this morning is, is when we study through these verses in verses 14 through 21, I believe Paul isn't necessarily giving a defense of ministry, but rather he's given an explanation to his approach and to the responsibilities associated with ministry. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? And just as Paul would pray that there would be some in the church at Rome 
that after having accepted Christ as their Savior, after allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to transform their lives, that the Lord would call some of them into ministry full-time and giving their life to the Lord, whatever it might be, or even if it's not necessarily full-time where you don't have a secular job or, or, or you don't have other things outside the church that you do, but even in the, in the volunteer ministries that, that, that they might do, that they would do it as unto the Lord and do it as the Lord had led him as well. Are you following me this morning? And so I want to take just a few moments and examine some of the characteristics, examine some of the attributes and some of the responsibilities associated to the ministry that Paul was able to fulfill and help us to see that as we serve the Lord here, whatever capacity that might be, whether it be uh, full-time with our life every single day at the church doing something for the Lord, or whether it be volunteered on the weekends or on Wednesday nights or whenever the services might take place, or going out to our communities on Thursdays and Saturdays with soul winning and such, that these things also can be found in our lives and that it will be pleasing to the Lord as we serve Him in ministry. As we look at Paul's example of ministry, let's consider our ministry as well. Notice number one with me this morning in verse number 14 and 15 that Paul said one of his responsibilities was that of an exhorter. He said he was an exhorter. Now we read in verse number 14 it says, And myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort uh, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Now, my friends, that word to exhort means to strongly encourage or to urge someone to do something. And Paul here is speaking of his role as an exhorter to other believers. And notice here his confidence as he exhorts these people. In verse number 14, he says that, <clears throat> excuse me, and I myself also am persuaded of you. He said, I'm persuaded of you, uh, that uh, my brethren, that you are full of goodness. He was persuaded of the faith of, the, of those that were at the church in Rome. He knew that he was speaking to other believers. He knew that he was writing to other believers. He knew that he was, he was directing his, his writing to individuals who had experienced the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that had placed their faith and trust in his death, burial, and, resur burial and resurrection, and that they, have, having heard what he's already said about salvation and about the need of salvation, what the Lord has done in giving his Holy Spirit, that these are folks that had experienced this, and that they too could experience this transformation from God as well. And he's confident in who he's speaking to. He's not worried that he's trying to feed someone something that they're not ready to eat yet. For instance, think of it this way, right? Uh, Brother Sam, little Holly was here this, with us this morning. Where everybody's excited about that. But I promise you this, you probably are not going to take her home and feed her a T-bone steak for lunch, right? No. How many days old is she? Or weeks old? I asked the wrong person. Sorry, Brother Sam, put you on the spot for that. Three weeks, all right, there we go, that's good enough. And uh, just make a number up, Brother Sam, it's okay. Nobody else knows. But anyway, uh, three weeks old or so. We understand a three-week-old baby's not going to eat a steak dinner. They don't have teeth to be able to chew it. The body couldn't digest it. I mean, they're just not ready for those things yet. 
And there's going to be a time as the baby continues to grow and continues to develop that there will be some solid foods uh, that will be added eventually. And, and, uh, but before that, uh, it's going to be, whether it's formula or milk now or whatever, uh, you know, and uh, uh, it's going to maybe be mushed up foods and all. It's a process, right? Because until the baby's ready to handle the solid things. Well, Paul is not sitting here worried that he's trying to force feed something to someone who isn't ready for it. He's confident in who he's speaking to. He's confident in the fact that these folks can handle the truth that all are sinners. He's confident in the fact that, in the tr- that these, people, these folks are ready and able to handle the truth that they need a Savior. He's confident in the fact that they have accepted Christ as their Savior. He's confident in the fact that they're able to understand that the Holy Spirit begins to do a work of transformation in the believer's life. And he's showing that confidence in verse number 14 where he says, I am persuaded of you, my brethren. He says that you are also that you also are full of goodness. He is saying, I recognize the Lord at work in your life. You want to know how I know that? Because earlier on in the same book, the Bible, he, he wrote, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none good. But here he's saying that there's goodness in them. So how can goodness be found in individuals when he's already said that there's none righteous? The only goodness found in us is the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's making a statement of their salvation and he's confident as he has exhorted them, as he is strongly encouraging them, as he's strongly pushing them to a specific decision or or action. He says, I'm confident in doing it this way because I know who I'm talking to. I know I'm speaking to someone who knows Christ and has the Holy Spirit in their life. Notice he, 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 he has that confidence because of their character. As I said, they're already, as they're saved, he says there's goodness. But notice also he goes on to say not only about their salvation, but they are filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. He says that they have been growing in the Lord, that they are growing in their knowledge of who he is and the ways of the Lord. And that is shown in the fact that they can that they can speak together and that they can admonish one another in verse, the end of verse number 14 says. So here's people that have their own troubles and they have their own struggles, but they also realize that they have comrades in the faith that have their own troubles and struggles as well. And they're able to admonish one another and say, listen, you know, I'm, I've had this struggle myself, and, and this is how the Lord's helped me through it, and I know the Lord can help you through it. And the other one entail is saying, I've had my troubles and struggles as well, and here's how the Lord has helped me through this. Or able to come along beside someone who says, listen, I know that this is all new and this isn't easy, but here's what the word of the Lord says. Let me admonish you in the things of God to help you grow. And he's saying, listen, I know who I'm talking to. I have the confidence to exhort you because I know you're saved. I have the confidence to exhort you because I know your character, that you're growing in the Lord. But notice his concern as he exhorts as well, though, in verse number 15. Verse number 15, he says, Nevertheless, my brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. See, being aware here that some of the teaching that he's given and some of the things that he has poured out, it's not too much for them to handle but he is concerned that maybe they hadn't taken it by the best light. You see what I'm saying here? 
Paul said he boldly had declared these things to them. Let's remember who he's speaking to and what he's declared. Well, back in chapter number one, he's declaring the fact that we're all sinners, right? And he's really directing his teaching to the Gentile uh, that's in the church at Rome. What's he say about the Gentile? Well, they changed the, that they worship the creation more than the creator. That they turn the truth of God into lasciviousness and all that. And there's all kinds of, of a, an attack, oh, kind of, if you want to use that word, an attack against their prior life before Christ. He pretty much dropped a bomb on the Gentile people in that church and saying, listen, this is where you were without Christ. But let's not forget also there's Jewish people in this, in this church as well. That's why we get to chapter 9, 10, and 11, and he focused solely pretty much on the Jewish individual, and he says, listen, some were such of you as some were such of you as of you. Some of you had lived this way, even though you had the things of God and the blessings of God and don't forget, you've kind of acted that way as well. So he pretty much dropped the bomb on the Jewish recipient as well. And Paul is saying, listen, I know that some of what I gave you was strong and tough, but I believe you could receive it because you know the Lord. You've been growing in your knowledge of him. But here's what I hope you understand, that even when things were straightforward or pointed or to the point, that I was telling you the truth out of love because I only want what's best for you. See what, I, what he say is that says there in verse number 15? Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. He wanted them to embrace the work and he wanted them to embrace the ministry of the Gentiles. He sought to reveal his love and devotion to them and he had received this calling from God and was determined to fulfill the work of God that had been given to him. The admonition that he had given to them was not out of anger, but out of a deep love and a concern for their salvation. He had experienced the grace of God and experienced where God had taken him from. He says, listen, I just want you to know that that's what God can do for you as well. Let's not forget what Paul says later on about his own self. He's not here saying, hey, I, I, I'm trying to tell you that I've got it all together and I figured it all out. Because later Paul would be the one who would write, I am the chief of sinners. So Paul was an exhorter. He was strongly challenging the people in this church to make a decision for God. But number two this morning, I want you to notice, not only was his, did, did he have the, the role of an exhorter, but he also had a role of a minister as well. Notice verse number 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. First, I want you to notice that Point number one was an exhorter, and point number two was a minister. An exhorter starts with the letter E, and minister starts with the letter M. And so my outline is not alliterated like it normally is today, and that's okay, all right? I know that that's the case, but they do all end in the same ER, all right? So just take that home for you so you remember. But he says, I'm an exhorter, but also my role is that of a minister. And we read that specifically in verse number 16, he says there. But as a minister, he recognized his calling as such. He says, nevertheless, I'm sorry, verse number 16, that I should be the minister of who? Jesus Christ. He wasn't a minister because I felt like this is what I ought to do. He wasn't a minister because this is how I'm going to make the big bucks. 
He wasn't a minister because uh, this is what I've always wanted to do for my, with my life. He said, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, and, the, and Jesus Christ is the one who's called me to this position. Specifically, that of the minister of the Gentiles, he says there in verse number 16. Notice, as he has this calling to be this minister, there's a commitment to this calling as well. The rest part of verse number 16 says, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. There is no denying that Paul's desire was to be able to reach as many people as he could with the gospel of Jesus Christ with whatever little time he had left. And he was totally devoted or committed to doing that and fulfilling the calling of God on his life. So much so that he desired for the conversion of others. And the latter part of verse number 16 tells us that, that the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He's speaking of wanting to see folks come to know Christ as their Savior. And he says, listen, as I, as I go through my life and as I give my life to God, some points I'm an exhorter. Sometimes I've got to rally the troops. Sometimes I've got to come alongside others and say, come on, guys, we can do it. Let's go. Let's go for God. Let's get the job done for the Lord. There's so much to be accomplished. There's so much that we could do for God. And he's exhorting or strongly encouraging folks to a specific action or a specific decision. He says, sometimes that my job role is that of a minister. And I'm a minister because I've been called by the Lord to do so. And I'm committed to reaching those for the sake of the gospel so that others might be converted and might be able to come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But notice number three also in verses 17 and 19, he says, hey, my role is also that of a preacher. In verses 17, 18, and 19, I, I have there, therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He says, though m through mighty signs and wonders by the Spirit of God that he's went from Jerusalem and all about, he says, to fully preach the gospel of Christ. Now, my friends, we understand that as we are hearing this word preacher, or speaking of him proclaiming the gospel, he's not necessarily just speaking about what I'm doing today. I'm standing behind the pulpit, I've got the word of God open, I'm proclaiming and dissecting the scripture and preaching to you the word of God. But when he's talking about preaching the gospel, he's uh, talking about declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My friends, that's something that we all can do. You don't have to have a degree, you don't have to have a pulpit, you don't have to have a title, you don't have to know everything there is to know about the Bible because... Let's be honest, I don't either. But nevertheless, you don't have to know all of those things. You just need to know that Jesus died for you. And know what he's done for you. And be able to tell what he's done for you as well. Notice this was the, the delight of Paul. I mean, it just overjoyed his heart to be able to share with others what Jesus had done for him. Verse number 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. He wasn't glorying in his might. He wasn't going around telling everybody how good or smart or wise he was. What he was glorying in was the cross of Jesus Christ. And that was his delight to tell others about the fact that they could know Jesus in a personal way as well. Notice he had discernment about this as well. 
Because listen, verse number 18, we'll, we'll come back to in just a moment. But let's, let's be honest, if we know anything about the Apostle Paul's life, he was very blessed in his life. I mean, from his, from his childhood, he was raised, the Bible tells us he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, he was learning from a, some of the wisest and, and well-known people in Judaism of his day. I mean, he was on the track, the fast track to stardom in Judaism. He was, he was somebody, he was going to make the list of who's who, for, right, uh, uh, of Jewish culture and, and all of those things. But when he met Jesus Christ, that changed everything in his life. Titles, position, all those things didn't matter any longer. Actually, he tells us that he counted them all as loss for the sake of Christ. But even still, the Lord still blessed him greatly. Because everywhere he went, he saw people saved. Almost everywhere he went, there was churches started because of work that he, went, he had done. Or churches were started elsewhere because of people he met in other cities and helped, get, helped them to lead them to, uh, that person to Christ. I mean, everywhere he went, there was miracles being performed. And I mean, there was great things that were taking place. But read verse number 18 again with me. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word or deed. What he's saying here is I am, his discernment in, as a preacher was, I'm not going to get up and boast that anything was accomplished because of me. I'm not going to get up and try to get the Gentile to be obedient by word and deed by telling them, look, God's blessing is on my life. If you'll just do like I did, you'll have his blessing as well. You ever hear some preachers kind of sound that way? Send me $1,000 and I'll send you a snotty rag that I've blown my nose in and you'll have all God's blessings on your life. That's not how it works, folks. But Paul says, listen, I am not going to glory in anything that I have done because anything that has been done is Christ in me. And I'm going to be discerning in the fact that I'm not going to get up and, and preach myself, but I'm going to preach Christ. Notice his dependence in this work as well in verse number 19. It's wrapped up in that middle segment of verse number 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. He said, that's what I depend on to accomplish anything in my life. We read it again in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 4. Paul said, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And as I close this morning, notice fourth with me in the last two verses that we've read this morning, verses 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul says, not only am I an exhorter, at times I'm a minister, at other times I feel the role of the preacher, but he says, I also am a planter. Verses 20 and 21, and yea, uh, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Finally here, Paul mentions his work as a church planter. Now, this isn't a, a position in ministry necessarily that I have had the ability or opportunity to be able to fulfill in myself. But can I say that each and every one of us in some way is a little planter? Every time we tell someone about the gospel, we at least plant the seed of the gospel there in that person's life. And whether we be in a city and we are helping to start a brand new church from scratch 
or whether it be right where we're at and we're planning to see the gospel in someone else's heart and their life, or whether it we, be, we partner with someone who will go and start a church by, through our missions program and giving so that they might be able to go, we all have a part to play in this as well as we minister for the Lord and as we serve Him. And, and these are all roles that we can play if we're going to play the roles in a way that would be pleasing and, uh, and, and accomplishing to the will of God. Notice Paul's focus on display in verse number 20. He says, I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. He says, my focus is to reach people who have not heard. I'm not trying to go to some place and build up something big so I can have a big name about myself. But I want to go someplace where I can tell someone who's never heard about Jesus and so that they might be able to be saved. It's hard for me to even imagine that there's still places in this world that people have never heard the name of Jesus. But it's true. There are people in our world that live in 2021 and have never heard the name of Jesus. I want to help plant a seed in their heart so that they might know Christ. Whether that be because I go, whether that be because I help influence and plant into somebody else's life so that they might go, or whether it be because I pull out my billfold and throw some, uh, some money in the, into the offering plate to go to missions for the ones who are going elsewhere. Just like Paul had a focus to reaching the lost in the world of his day. We ought to have that focus as well. Notice his desire for fruit in verse number 21. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. Here's folks who have never heard or seen the works of Christ, but because of his dedication to plant, they would. Now, going back to what we spoke of at the beginning of the, of the message, if we were to ask a thousand people, what is the job of a preacher, evangelist, a pastor, a minister? We'd probably get a thousand different answers. And Paul realized the same thing in his day. You ask the congregation at the church at Rome, what is Paul's ministry? What does he do? What is his job title? What is his job description? You'd get all kinds of different answers. Paul wanting to be the best influence he could on the folks there who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Of course, being un uh, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself as he's writing this. He writes to the church at Rome and says, let me explain something. It's not always just cut and dry and this is what the minister of the Lord does. Sometimes it's the role of the exhorter. Where I am strongly encouraging someone to make a decision for Christ. I'm strongly motivate, helping strongly motivate someone to do a, a, a service for the Lord. Sometimes it's that of ministering to someone and coming alongside of them in their toughest and hardest times. Sometimes it's that of preaching and proclaiming the gospel message. Sometimes it's planting, where it, even if I don't get to share the entire gospel message, I drop a little seed at least into the life of someone. Paul said, hey, I've planted and Apollos has watered, but God gives the increase. You might not be in the same position I am as pastor or on a church staff or anything like that, but every single one of us has a part to play in the work of the Lord. 
And just as my ministry is multifaceted and Paul's ministry was multifaceted, can I say your ministry is going to be multifaceted as well? You say, no, all I do is I take that offering plate and I walk down the aisle here and I put it in front of people's faces and if they don't want to give, then I get a little stern with them. That's all I do. No, your ministry is more than that. Because as those who usher, you are some of the folks that greet folks when they're new here. Some of those that help someone who is in a need. Maybe a person has a, an issue and they need someone to help serve them. You can help serve them in that way. See, what, uh, it's not just about that plate you hold in your hand. There's much more that goes into it. Ladies might say, well, I just, I, all I do is work in a nursery. All I do is sit back there and watch a baby. It's more than that. So you sit down there and hold that baby and rock that baby. Maybe as they go to sleep, you're singing Jesus loves me to them. Or whispering that, that scripture reference into their ear as they fall asleep in your arms. You're making an impact on some of the foundational times of that child's life. Your ministry is far more reaching than just filling a spot. And what I'm saying this morning is sometimes we get the wrong view of ministry, Right? Sometimes we get the wrong idea of what it means to be in the work of the Lord. Paul says, I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just offering an explanation. Because sometimes my ministry looks like this. I'm exhorting people. I'm strongly motivating them for the cause of Christ. Sometimes it's me as a minister and I come alongside them and compassionately enter into their sufferings with them. Sometimes I am boldly proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ by preaching it to those who need it. Sometimes I'm just getting a little, a little drop of the gospel in because as, as a planner, or I'm just, you know, I, I get the seed in and somebody else does the cultivating and God gives the increase. But he says, just as Paul said, my ministry is multifaceted. Listen, my friends, ministry is multifaceted as well. Paul gave an example of his ministry and all scripture is given by inspiration is profitable and as he's given us an example of his ministry I believe it's so that we might be able to gain insight today to say as I serve God it's not just about a role it's the fact that that role is multifaceted and there's different areas and there's different things to do See, when I, when I look at what I do for God in the, in the, in, within the walls of the church as, well, if I don't do it, somebody else can, we've just missed what God is trying to do through us. Can somebody else carry an offering plate? Absolutely they can. But somebody else can't be you in the ministry of God. Can somebody else watch the child in the nursery? Absolutely they could. But somebody else can't be you and make that impact. And, may, and, and, and fulfill that role in the ministry for the Lord. Could somebody else teach that Sunday school class? Sure they could. But they're not you. And they're not who God wants, wants to be there necessarily all the time. All I'm saying today is each ministry is, has different aspects to it. And it goes further than just holding a title. It goes further than just doing a specific thing because Paul said listen sometimes it looks like me being an exhorter sometimes it looks like me being the minister sometimes it looks like me being the preacher sometimes it looks like me being the, the planner the key is this he said it's done in the power of the spirit of God 
You know what, what Paul had going for him? Paul was yielding himself daily to the Spirit's guidance. So when God came along and said, Paul, I don't want you here any longer, Paul said, okay, I'll go someplace else and do it. When, Paul, when, when God came along to Paul and said, hey, listen, that's not the job I want you to accomplish today, Paul was okay with it because he was yielding himself to the Spirit. Your jobs and your roles and the things that you do for God might change as your life for God goes on. But the key is always staying faithful and yielded to the Spirit to let Him work His work in you and I, right? Would you stand your feet with me, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? As we close, we'll have a time of invitation. And this really wasn't a, a message that was geared to folks who might not know Christ as their Savior. But I want to explain this today, that the grand and overarching theme and, and desire of Paul and that of Scripture also is this, that all men might be saved. Every individual that has ever lived on this earth might come to know Christ as their Savior. And I want to ask one simple question here this morning first to start things off, and that be this. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved, and I know without a doubt that heaven's my home. And if I die today, I know I'd stand before my Savior and hear, welcome home, my child. I'd love to rejoice with you this morning. Would you just slip your hand up as a testimony of salvation today? Hands all across this auditorium. I'm, I'm so pleased to be in the presence of other believers today. You can put your hands down. I do want to ask another question, though, and that question would be this. I wonder if there would be anyone here who would be honest and say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. And out of respect of others and their privacy with no one else looking around except for myself, I wonder if anyone would be honest enough to say, Pastor, if I die today, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. And I'm not sure that if I stood before, my, uh, before Jesus Christ, I would hear welcome home child. Because I don't know that there's ever been a time where I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but could I pray for you this morning? Anybody here would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Just pray for me, please. Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Anybody like that? Slip your hand up and write back down. Then one last question. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. All that's settled. But I also know that as we've studied through the Word of God over the last several weeks, and even today, that God has a plan and God has a will. For each and every one of our lives. Sometimes it looks this way. Sometimes it looks that way. It's not a, a, a list necessarily. Paul said my ministry for the Lord. Is enveloped in all of these different aspects and roles. And just as Paul said hey let me explain something. Sometimes I'm an exhorter. Sometimes I'm the, I'm the minister. Sometimes I'm the preacher. Sometimes I'm the planner. How many of you would say, Pastor, I don't know always, or I don't know exactly necessarily what the Lord would have me to do with my life for Him. But Pastor, pray with me that whatever it might be, whatever a role it might be, whatever, whatever aspects of that role it might look like, whether it looks like this for a year and then like, it looks like this for another year, and there's changes along the way that I won't get caught up in necessarily the things that I do as much in my surrender to what he would have me to do. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray with me that whatever it is the Lord would have me to do, that I'd be ready, willing, and surrendered to accomplish that role for the sake of his ministry. 
Could I pray with you this morning? Just slip your hands up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium today. I do pray that would be our heart, that we would desire to serve the Lord with gladness in whatever capacity he'd have us to do so. I'm going to pray. And when I'm finished praying, the music's going to begin to play. And if the Lord's spoken to your heart, maybe you need to just surrender to the Lord today and say, Lord, I don't know exactly what that is yet today, but whatever it might be that you'd have me to do, I'm willing to do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm going to come to the altar because, because I know that the Lord has, I've been serving the Lord in this capacity, but I've been wrapping up what I do for the Lord in just a title or, or just a, a, an aspect of service. And I realize that my service for the Lord is more than that. It's more multifaceted in that way. And maybe you just need to come and ask the Lord for forgiveness for, for not seeing the worth and the magnitude of what you do for him. However the Lord has spoken to your heart, I would encourage you to, to respond to him accordingly. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you for all that you do for us. I ask that you have your will in your way in this invitation and do all only that you can do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins.